got a lot of things I want to share with you. You can already tell I'm speaking fast, so uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can talk about life and realize that life is an adventure for those who know you because whatever comes our way, we know that uh, it's given to us by a God who is sovereign and in control. And then when we see the challenges of life, we can learn to trust you more. We can look for opportunities to display you with our attitude and actions. And we always encounter a world that needs to know you. And Father, as we, as we think about that, you want us to live for you individually, but also collectively in what you've called the church. And we just really pray as we do life together, not only corporately as we gather together for worship, but also as we meet in small groups throughout the week, that you might build relationships, that we, you might cause us to be more in love with you, and that we might seek to please you in all that we do. And now, Father, as we look into your word, we pray you might speak to us, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our series that we started at the beginning of the year, questions asked and answered, and really it's a study of the entire New Testament. And in case you haven't gotten every single message, you can spend your whole week this next week on our uh, www.gracehills.com and listen to every message I've preached this year. But just in case you haven't, you haven't got every one of them, each, each Sunday is a, is a message in its own in terms of we look at a particular portion of God's Word where He unveiled his message to us. And this week we continue in now that section in the New Testament which is called the Epistles. And really, it's that section in the New Testament where in contrast to the Gospels in which we hear and, and we're told the story of Jesus and what he's done for us. And the book of Acts where we, we hear, really hear and t- uh, the story told about the Holy Spirit working through the lives of his people. In the letters that follow the Gospels and Acts, uh, then you have really the the word about the church and and what God's people do and instructions how we're supposed to live that out. And God is really honest with us, not only in his relationship to us personally, but also in his record to us as we read about his people, is that we don't always do it perfectly, do we? Uh, There's some struggle points along the way. And as we look at this section this morning, we're going to see that, that Paul writes to a man named Timothy because there's some, some questions that need to be answered in terms of how to, how to lead the church and how to, how to do life well among God's people. This past week I came across a, a little story about questions and answers, and I thought it kind of was appropriate to our whole entire series as well as what we're going to be talking about this morning. A man took his son fishing one day, and after a few hours in the boat, with not much to do, the son started asking the father some questions. How does the boat float, he asked. The man thought about the question for a moment, then said, I I don't really know, son. Well, how how do fish breathe underwater? The man scratched his head and said, I I guess I don't know the answer to that one either. Why is the sky blue, the boy persisted. Well, the father replied, "I, I really don't know, son. The boy started to worry about that his father was getting upset about all the questions. So he asked this, do you mind me asking questions, Dad? His father immediately reassured him, no, of course not, son. If you don't ask questions, you'll never learn anything. (laughs) You know, sometimes we're that way. We're asking questions, we're not getting a whole lot of answers, and we're wondering, well, maybe I should have quit asking questions. And if there's anyone, you don't have to be afraid to ask questions about It's God. And particularly not only God, but also His Word. Because we're not afraid to try to ask, well, what does that mean? Or how does that apply? Or is that really something I'm supposed to, to, to do in my life? Or well, what about you know, the future? What about the past? What am I supposed to respond to in the present? 
Well, as we look at this section, if you, don't have, your, if you have your Bibles, turn them, you know, pull them out. If you don't, there should be one underneath the, the seat in front of you or behind you. We're going to be looking at a section of Scripture called uh, 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy is an interesting section of God's Word in that it's, uh, it's a little bit different than the other letters. Where In the other letters, Paul is basically writing to a group of people, a church or churches, and in the next three letters that we're going to be looking at, he's really writing to individuals. They're personal letters. Now, I don't know about you, but I was always tight not supposed to read other people's mail. Are you still with me? Should I start all over? You're not supposed to read other people's mail. But that's what we're going to be doing the next three weeks. We're going to read somebody else's mail. But really, I think when Paul wrote that, I know he, when he wrote that, the purpose was not only just for Timothy or for Titus, as we'll see in a couple weeks, it was really for all of us because the issues that he was wrestling with, even in his position as an elder and leading that church, really applies to us all. Because no matter what position we have in leadership in a church, we're supposed to all live out the faith in, a, in an honorable way. And so this morning, we're going to be seeing Paul's challenge to Timothy to, to teach the truth. Now, I struggle with that title because I almost wanted to make it more inclusive, that he, he pleaded with him to simply tell the truth. Now, initially, again, even when I thought about that, well, that's, that's kind of a no-brainer. Probably none of us are going to argue with that. You think it's right to tell the truth? Well, on a place like this, you're all going to say, yes, we're supposed to tell the truth. But we struggle that in two ways. One is that we're not always completely honest with people about the facts, about what really happened or didn't happen. But there's another way sometimes we don't tell the truth or teach the truth, and that's just simply by leaving out some things. You know, not, not, not putting in some things you know they want to know, but you, you're afraid if you tell them, they might be angry with you. They might be upset with you. They might not agree with you. And there comes a point, as we understand following after God, sometimes we're going to have to tell people what they don't want to hear. And if we're committed to telling the truth or teaching the truth, it will include not only being uh, people committed to the veracity of what we're saying, telling that which is honest, but we, we tell the whole story. And so Paul, as he writes to Timothy, he's writing to him as a as a fellow pastor, a fellow leader in the church, but you could just say a, a fellow pilgrim in the journey of walking with God. And he's talking to someone who, who is a little timid in his faith, and we're going to see that later on in 2 Timothy. At times he was a little fearful. And he announces to him that this is what it's all about. Tell the truth. Teach the truth. Tell people what they need to hear. So this morning I want to talk about teaching what is important. So if you have your outlines this morning, we're going, to, we're going to race through some things. As I was reviewing this, I'm thinking, it all depends how long I spend at each point to how far we get. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can get to this morning. Uh, teaching what is important. He, he begins, uh, look at, we'll look at the first few verses and then we'll get to the main section I want to talk about as we look at one of the identifiable things that need to be taught. He begins this way, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. I'll tell you a little bit of backstory here as well. He's writing to 
one of his sons. Not a, not a son by way of him being the physical father, but a, but a son spiritually. And that would be true of Titus as well. And, and Timothy actually was a product of a, of a mixed racial relationship. It was, uh, his mom was Jewish, a devout Jew, and his dad was Greek, Gentile. Uh, but he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and Paul was instrumental either in leading him, but probably not leading him, but, but discipling him in the faith. And so he's speaking to what he really cares about. And that's, that's not an issue. Timothy knows Paul loves him. And he begins those words, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he jumps in to, to something that he needs to, to rattle Timothy's, Timothy's cage about. He says, I urge you, and I urged you in the past... I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, that's, a, that's just a mouthful saying this. I charge you to, to talk to the people, and it could have been actually in his church, that are teaching things that aren't true. They, they were guiding people down the wrong path as it relates to God. And then he makes a very simple statement that we can kind of just hold on to. He says in verse 5, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. He goes on, verse 6, From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. We'll go back to verse 5 because that's really what I want to center on. But have you ever talked to someone and, and they're talking about some things and you're, you're saying, I don't, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. What are they trying to tell me? And, and the more you listen to them, you, you become not only convinced that you don't understand what they're saying, but now you become to the point you don't think they, they what? They understand what they're saying. They're just talking. Just watch some of the political debates and you'll kind of get that idea. Right. You know, they're just talking. What are they really saying? Do they understand what they're trying to communicate? And he, he's speaking to them. You've got, in the church and among God's people, we, we've got to be able to discern what's true and what's not true. Don't let people teach that which is false about God. But what I want to center on is that verse 5, and, and I, want to trans, or I want to quote it in another translation. It says this in the New American Standard translation of, of, first, of 1 Timothy 1, 5. But the goal of our instruction, and the goal simply said, well, what are we trying to make happen? What's the purpose of a guy like me or in your small groups or a Sunday school class or, or just one-on-one -on -one, when you're telling people about God? What's, what's the purpose of that? What are you trying to accomplish? He says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And I put in your outline this way. Uh, teach the truth which produces a real love of God from the heart. See, if, if that's not what we're producing, then we're not, we're not producing what God wants us to make. God wants us to be involved in his process of, of making disciples, or as we put it, to, to make people into true, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of labels you can put on people who are Christians, who, who name themselves as followers of Jesus. But let me give you another simple one. A, a, a true 
Christian, a, a true disciple of Jesus, is one who loves God. And if, if we somehow miss that, then we're, we're teaching people moral principles, we're people, teaching people to be religious, you know, show up on certain activities, but are we, are we causing, calling people to understand it's all about coming to know who God is and loving Him much more fervently and faithfully and passionately? You see, they're missing it. They're, they're tickling people's ears. They're good communicators. And that, that sounds interesting. That, I've never heard that before. And they were, they were telling them all kinds of stuff that, that they had never thought about before. But he said, just take a step back. Don't you understand the goal of our teaching, the goal of the, all the commandments, the goal of our instruction is to produce people who love God from a pure heart. And when he talks about a pure heart, he doesn't mean like a sinless heart. I mean, we have a forgiven heart. In fact, Titus 3, 5 says that we are regenerated by the washing of, of the Word of God in our lives. But he's talking about a heart that's sincere and straightforward and clear and genuine. And, and so let me, let me just tell all of us what Paul told Timothy. You know, tell the truth. Teach the truth in, in such a way that you understand the purpose of your teaching is not simply to fill people's mind with information. And, and God never diminishes that, that we should know more truth and more truth and more truth. But as we know more about God, it ought to produce in us a love of Him from a, a genuine heart that knows Him. And our conscience is now clear. And it produces in us even more faith more trust that, that God is always in control. So, so teach the truth. And it begins with teach the truth in such a way that you understand the purpose is to produce lovers of God. Secondly, and, and we're, only, we're only taking some of the, the truths that need to be emphasized. Uh, teach the truth, which is for all of us who are really lost without Christ. Now, again, you might think, that's kind of a no-brainer in, in a place like this, but, but let's not miss this point. And, and let me read the text and then and try to kind of unfold it a little bit. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 80, he says this, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So we look back at the Old Testament, we look at all the commandments and, and things that God did through the nation of Israel, the covenant people of God. That wasn't bad stuff back there. It was good, but you don't need to understand the purpose of it. Knowing this, verse 9, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, when you came in this morning, sometimes we haven't done it in a while. We, some Sundays we'll call this name tag Sunday, and we'll all give you something to put on your shirt or blouse or dress, whatever it might be, so that people can see your face and maybe see your first name written out there, and people, oh yeah, that's, that's who that person is, Okay. But just think for a moment, we expanded the name tag. 
we put your name on that, and then we said, we want to list your top ten sins that you've committed. Okay? <laughs> you all laugh. Maybe we ought to try that, all right? It is, if, if we really understand who should be coming through that door, it's the people not only with a name, but with a list of sins, they understand that they have sinned against a holy God. Because the, the prerequisite, the qualification to come in here is that you are a sinner. <laughs> that you have messed up. And, and people who don't believe they're messed up are not welcome here. Because we have nothing to offer them. See, Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't come to save righteous people. Now, of course, the reality is that there are no righteous people, but there are people who think they are righteous, who, who don't think they need it. And, and we need to understand in terms of understanding the gospel, and of course, if we're going to teach the truth, we, we better understand the most important truth, and the most important truth, get this right, is the... Starts with the letter G. It's the, the gospel. Let's try that again. If, if we're, if we're going to teach the truth... And by that, teach that which is most important, then we better be sure that we understand what is the truth about the, the gospel. And the gospel is for people, people who recognize that they need Jesus. Now, he gave a long list of, of sins there, and, and most of us go, oh man, I'm kind of uncomfortable with some of those sins there. But he gave that to Timothy and said, hey, this, this is what the message is for. And if you don't think you committed any of those heinous sins, then you need to read the, the Sermon on the Mount again. Because if you've, if you've even participated in that thought life that way, the act was just a, a blink away. You maybe not have committed the act, but it's, it's there. And, and we are all in that state, B.C., before Christ. And then after Christ... We are on the journey of allowing God to purge us in our practice, but he's forgiven us in our position. And so let's always remember that the, the church is, is not just for people who think they're good. In fact, it's not just for people. who th it's, not, it's not the place for, for people who, who are better than anybody else. We ought to be the most humble people on this planet. Because we recognize, apart from the grace of Christ, we're condemned. Now, now, Paul taught this not only by way of principle, but he also taught it by way of testimony. And we won't read all of it. Look at 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am what? chief let's put that name tag illustration you know, again okay put your name on that list the top 10 sins you've committed and then if you think you're the worst sinner here just put the word worst normally we don't want to win at that kind of contest but paul saw him that way and let's let's be honest about paul paul in his other part of his testimony said before the law i was blameless. I was a righteous man in the religious world. But see, he had broken the, the greatest commandment. He wasn't a lover of who? God. Not the true God. 
He was passionate and fervent, but he wasn't a lover of God. And whenever we don't love God, we are committing the, the gravest sin on this planet. So let, let's tell the truth, let's teach the truth about what's, what's the goal. The goal is for us to, to love God from a pure heart and lead people into that experience. Let's teach the truth that the, the gospel is for people who understand they need it. Just for free. You know that phrase where it said in verse 11, it's not in your outline in terms of written out, but it says, let's, let's not allow anything to be taught that's contrary to sound doctrine. And maybe some of you have heard that phrase. You know, this is a church that teaches sound doctrine. It, it's, it's really sound a lot of ways. I mean, again, kind of the, the, taking the idea of true, it's, it's people who teach the truth about doctrine. The word doctrine simply is the word teaching. It teaches that which is true, that is recorded to us in God's message to us. But the word sound is an interesting word. It really comes from a word in the Greek, like it sounds very like the word that we have in the English, hugiano. It has the idea of hygienic. Teach that which is hygienic. You know, things that are hygienic, you know, you, if you're, now if you go to the hospitals, you know, you push that little button and a little drip comes out of your hand, and you're supposed to, what, is that alcohol? I don't know what that is, but anyways, you're supposed to cleanse your hand. I mean, I don't believe in washing hands. I just miss that thing, go right in. But, but you know, it, it, we're really into a world now where we want people to be clean all the time. And so they, they, a lot of places they'll have that. I think I was talking to John. You have that on the, on, on, on the construction site. A lot of times you have to have things that you put your hand underneath. This is the same word here. See, sound teaching is that which makes us clean. It's very hygienic for us. Or to put it another way, it's that which makes us healthy. So often we think about the Word of God as that which, you know, is, just tells us what we shouldn't do and we shouldn't do. You know, just kind of God being very arbitrary up there, pointing his finger, do this and don't do that. Re really, every, everything he tells us is for our good. We, we sang that earlier in the service. It, it's for us to be more healthy. When we obey God's Word, it makes us healthy. That was for free. Let's, go move, let's move on. All right. Thirdly, let's teach the truth that we are to pray for all who are in authority. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, first, the first part. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, you know, obviously we, we could spend some additional time on this section right here, but it, it says two things. Not only should we pray for all those in authority, but we ought, ought to have the right attitude toward those who are in authority. You can't pray a godly prayer without having an attitude that reflects that. Now, have you ever known a person who self-described themselves, or maybe there's some people in your life that you describe this way, or if you're really, really honest, maybe you describe yourself this way, and you say, you know, I have a problem. I have a problem with people in, in authority. All right, man, we got to, let's try that again, all right? I have a problem. I have a problem with people in authority. And really, that's just a person that says, you know, when people are telling me what to do, I just don't like that. I, it ticks me off when people are telling me what to do. Well, 
I don't think any of us, I mean, if we had to choose, would I rather be in charge or having someone be in charge of me? Well, depending upon the circumstance, let me tell you, sometimes it's, it's much easier to be under authority than in authority. Most people who say that aren't people who are in authority very, very often. But there are times when we would all say, I'd rather be the one calling the shots than someone taking the shots at me. You know, God, God was very plain with Timothy here. In a, in a godless, very ungodly uh, realm that they were living under. Uh, later on, Nero uh, rearrests Paul and puts him to death, a Gentile emperor. But he says, We need to pray for everyone in authority. So that means at school, you know, that teacher you don't like, begin praying for him. That coach that you can't stand, doesn't know that you ought to be playing more than the other guy, you know, pray for them. Not pray only at their wisdom that they would put you on, on the court, but pray that, that they might come to know Jesus and that you might live in such a way that demonstrates that what's most important in your life is to, to live a life that honors God. But even in this political arena now, and it's going to get even more heated up as we go to 2012, we can all have strong political positions but we should never be people known for what we are against. We ought to be known for what we're for. And we ought to be praying for everyone in authority. And that is just as hard to hear now, and even, it was probably even harder to hear then. We should not be known as Christ followers as people have a problem with people in authority. Now, it doesn't mean that we aren't honest that there are some people that aren't necessarily the best bosses or the best political leaders. But we need to recognize above anyone in position of responsibility, there is God. And so we are called to pray for them. So let, let's be known more for who we pray for than who we are condemning with our words or our email blasts or whatever it might be. Fourthly, let's teach the truth. <laughs> and if there was anyone, if there was any point I was going to leave out, it was going to be this one because this is the one I get in trouble with the most. We need to teach the truth that men and women are different. But anyone want to say amen to that? Yeah. Okay, then I don't need to say anything more, right? Let's just move on to the. Okay, teach the, tr the truth that men and women are different. Now we we know that, but where does that drop down in terms of where we live. Okay. And some, as they look at the scriptures, they, they say this is, this is an area where somehow Paul must have got it wrong. And let me just read one section. Paul put this, And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now we know one author says that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. But we're not just talking about different personality traits or characteristics. Here we're talking about a, a certain role or responsibility among God's people. And this is a series of messages, but in a message where I'm supposed to teach the truth and not leave out that what's important, you know, Paul thought this was important enough to put it clearly in his in his word. In fact, then he goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he lists the qualifications for being 
elders uh, in the church, and he says, among other things, that they must be a husband of one wife. Well, that pretty qualifies that it's only one gender for that. Now, I want to give a little bit of background here. The the Bible says, and in fact, Paul himself said in Galatians 3.28, there's there's neither male nor female, that we're all equal in Christ. And so we need to be very clear. There is no difference before God whether you're male or female in your relationship with him. When we get to heaven, the, the, the rewards and awards being meted out will have nothing to do about gender. But, but there is a different, different responsibility among God's people, at least in two areas. In fact, I would say only two areas. It doesn't say anything about the workplace. It doesn't have anything to say about, I believe, in the schools. It doesn't have anything to say about uh, even really the military. Doesn't even, the, the Bible does not speak directly to that. But there are two places where God makes distinction in terms of the role, and the difference of the role between men and women. And that is in the home and in the church. And if God says it plainly, then we, we can wrestle with it, but that's what God has said. And we need to understand that, that leadership or those in authority, the primary synonym for that is responsibility. And to be responsible in the home is what it means to be a leader in the home. To, to be responsible in the church is to be, to be a leader in the church is to be responsible in the church. It, it doesn't, doesn't mean that, that people don't have all kinds of things they can do within the home and within the church, but there's a distinction there in terms of ultimate authority. And, and let me just say this in terms of the equality throughout Scripture as far as it relates to gender. When God gave the law in Exodus, it was given to men and women. When it's described in in Numbers, as far as the application of the law, there was no difference between men and women. They were equally before the law. When we we look at uh, the role uh, as far as even teaching children within the home, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's equality there. As it relates to serving God in a variety of different areas, within the covenant people of Israel as well as in the New Testament, there's some equality there that we can all serve in so many different ways. But as you look at the Old Testament, there, not one single time was there ever a priest that was a, was a female, a woman. They were all male. When you look at the office of, of prophecy, there were those at times who gave prophecy, but as far as the office of prophet, it was only male. As you look at those who were inspired by God to record the words that are now found in our scripture, they were all male. If you look at the New Testament, if you look at any uh, of the local churches, there, there was never a, a woman that was a pastor teacher or had the office of evangelist. None of them recorded scripture as far as God inspired them to write. But as far as living for God and serving God, there's equality. But there are times where God has has chosen to give responsibility or leadership in two particular areas, in the home and in the church, to make men responsible to lead out what God has given his people to be. So, as we teach the truth, sometimes we have to teach the truth which is not particularly something people want to hear. For instance... When I perform marriages, now as old as I am, when, when, I, when I first 
Christ-led services. There, there never was a question about, well, in the, in the vow. Are, are there any words you don't want to put in there? Well, now when you do that, a lot of times the couple, particularly one side of the couple, will say, can you leave that submit part out of there? Actually, it comes from both. It goes from the men and the women, because I find now that the men don't want to be responsible. They don't want to lead. If you want to see some things happening culturally, it's the men who have dropped the ball, not the women. But, but that idea of submission is, is um, difficult for people to hear. Now, on, on one side, leaving it out, if we, if we leave it out of a ceremony, is not that crucial because what you're doing, you're leaving out a word that people don't understand. And they're hearing one, they're, they're hearing one thing, but they're uh, attaching a different meaning to it. The word submit simply means to align under or to range under. And there's all kinds of places where that happens. I mean, and it has nothing to do about essence or abilities or intellect. I mean, take the military. Is everyone who is in a position of leadership in the military a lot smarter than people underneath them? Of course not. Same thing within the workplace or in the school or whatever it might be. It simply means that someone has to lead. You know, Hap, who is a, a he's going to be uh, auditioning for Dancing in the Stars back there. I mean, Hap, you can look for that. I mean, when you do formal ballroom dancing, someone has to, what? Lead. And so God just identified it clearly so there wouldn't be this huge debate going on. Submission is not a bad word. Everyone in life submits. I don't know anyone in this world that doesn't have to submit to somebody. And so it's simply a matter that God is a God of order. And so he put order very clearly in line. Even Jesus, when he was here, submitted his will to the Father. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to demonstrate the life of dependence upon God. Fifthly, this morning, we are to teach the truth by practicing what we preach. Look at uh, what Paul, uh, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And so... As Paul is writing to Timothy, he realized that there were some more seasoned, Brandon, seasoned people within the church. And so Timothy was being a little bit intimidated because there were those who were a little bit uh, more experienced, uh, more on in life. And so at times when he had to tell the truth, he was intimidated. He said, you don't have to be intimidated by telling the truth if you're living out the truth. If you, if you practice what you preach, that gives you authority. When you never ask people to do something you're not willing to do, that gives you authority. When you're trying to model the plan of God in your life before you try to put it in their lives, then, then you have authority. And, and this is obviously something we all need to wrestle with. If I'm going to say it, then I've got to be willing to go for it. If I want other people to learn it, then I've got to live it. I'm not saying perfection will never leave it perfectly, but I'm committed to being what God wants me to be if I'm going to try to lead other people to be what God wants them to be. And then finally this morning, teach the truth that both the poor and the rich need to be content. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. 
Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Interesting enough, they, they were really wrestling with that because they were saying, man, this whole thing of falling after God, what's, what do you get from that? And he's saying, hey, if you're really in line with God's plan for your life, you will learn to be content in life. And what, what does the word content mean? It actually comes from a word which means sufficient. You're going to feel, I got it. I mean, I've got all I need. I'm self-contained. I'm uncontrolled or I'm unburdened from dependency on my circumstances. And you're going to be looking in your life groups this week about another passage where Paul talks about that. He goes on, For we brought nothing into this world, and as certain we can carry nothing out. Now, I've heard this you know, I haven't really checked it, though I've done, I've done a lot of funeral services, but uh, they say that if you get a suit from a mortuary, that there's something absent in the suit that they put on a man in the mortuary because that suit has no pockets. Now, the reason it has no pockets is because there's nothing needed to be put in the pocket. And that's basically what he's saying here. You came into this life without pockets. You're going out of this life without pockets. You're not taking anything of physical substance with you. And he goes on and says this. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Now, really, in this whole chapter, and this is why we're not unpacking the whole context of this, he talks both to those who are poor and to those who are rich. And he simply wants to say, hey, be content. Now, contentment is not a synonym for complacent. Uh, Brand and I were talking about those two words this past week. It doesn't mean you're complacent. You just sit there doing nothing. But in the midst of wherever you are, you are content. And, and let's be honest, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, there were rich people that were godly. Abraham, Job, even Solomon, he had kind of up and down. You know, he was wise, but God blessed him. He, God personally specifically blessed Solomon with riches. There was nothing wrong with riches. It's when you love the riches more than God. And so it's a matter of being content. I was reading about a number of historical rich people in America. John Rockefeller, you know, and, and he, he, made a, he made this comment. If I can find it real quickly. He goes, uh, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. And here's a man, probably, if you look at inflation and everything else, might have been the richest man America ever had. So you've just got money. That's, that's not enough. A Vanderbilt, who was filled with money as well, he says, the, the care of money is too great a load. There's no pleasure in, in trying to handle it all. And the one I liked the best was Henry Ford. He said, you know, the, the one who got the whole Ford card industry going, he says, you know, there are times I wish I could just go back and be a mechanic. It's not easy being blessed with the ability to make, to make money. And those who God gives it, it's, it's a responsibility. And they need to learn to be content, not complacent, and, they, and to use what God gives them in the best way possible. But the poor, those who, and, and the poor could be anything, anyone who has less than somebody else. I mean, the, the, this whole poverty description is a little elusive if you look at it demographically and statistically and things like that. Every, every, well, let me just give you an illustration of that. I, I just read a report uh, a couple weeks ago on 
on those who are labeled below the poverty line in America, and this is what they said. The typical poor American lives in an air-conditioned house or apartment that is in good repair and has cable TV, a car, multiple color TVs, a DVD player, a VCR, and many other appliances. Half of the poor have computers and one-third have widescreen plasma TVs. Some 90% of poor parents are willing to report that their children were never hungry at any time in the prior year. A poor child is more likely to have cable TV, a computer, a widescreen plasma TV, an Xbox, or a TiVo in the home than to be hungry. Poor Americans have more living space in their homes than the average non-poor Swede, French, Frenchman, or German. Poverty in America, in comparison to poverty around the world, is just like, there's just no comparison. Now, that does not mean that there are people in real hardship that, that are not in real hardship in America. There are people in a lot of hardship in America. And we need to be compassionate and caring. That's why we do the free giveaway. That's why we, we give to um, Orange County, South County Outreach. And that's why we, we help people all the time. But the, the greatest need, and this is, where, this is Paul just nailing here. He said, people need to learn to be content. How, how much do we need? And, and, and even that, are, are we content with what we have? Do we have food and clothing? Do we have a place to live? So what's the point this morning? Well, there was a number of points, and I kind of gave a shotgun of stuff, actually, that we looked at for an extended series about three or four years ago in the book of Second Timothy. But Paul is pleading with Timothy. He was being a little bit insecure about his ministry and, and leading people spiritually. He says, you've you got to teach the truth. You've got to teach that what's most important. And it begins with understanding, what's the goal? The goal is to produce people who love God. The goal is to understand the gospel. It's for people who really need the gospel. You, you need to understand that, that it's, a, it's a place in which God wants us to understand there, there are certain roles within God's church, that there's a place in which we are called to be examples, that God wants us to be people who understand that we need to be content with what God gives us and we need to understand that there is a place where we need to be people who are known by our, our, our prayer life, praying for those in positions of responsibility above us. But if I were to leave you one thing, because that's a, that's a lot to, to kind of digest, I would, I would just leave 2 Timothy this morning. We're going to look at it throughout the week in, this, in the study. God wants us to tell the truth. He wants us to be those who are honest, but he also wants us to be people who give what sometimes people don't want to hear or maybe what you want to share. Through that story about having an August about this family that was at, the, at a hockey game. Did you read that story? It happened in August where they had, you know, if you've been to pl those places like that, or they can be in high schools as well as professional uh, hockey games or athletic events, they had this, this promotion where they have somebody do something that's almost impossible to do and they'll give them money. Well, th this kid... Uh, uh, this, this family, they had twin boys, Nate and Nick, and they, uh, they bought some raffle tickets, and they, their number was called, and they were to go out, out and hit this little puck into the net from 90 feet away. Actually, it was 89 feet away. I remember the specific number. But, but if you looked at it, it wasn't just hitting the net from 89 feet away. I couldn't hit the net from 89 feet away. But you had to get in the net, and there was this little hole there, which was the size of the puck. So it meant you had to hit 90 feet to hit something. It would go in exactly at the right angle. It wouldn't bounce off. Well, Nick went out there, 
And he hit the puck and went right through that hole. Won $50,000. Everybody's going crazy. Well, the next day, the, the father felt you know, a little bad about it. So he, he contacted, I think it was Odds Promotions, and said, you know, I've got to be honest with you. That wasn't, the, the raffle ticket wasn't Nick's, it was Nate's. The, the twin boys, Nate was actually getting some Coke or something like that or a hamburger. He was out outside uh, the arena at the moment or inside where they were announcing it. So he didn't even know they had called his number, so I just sent his twin brother out. Well, initially they said, oh, we'll just let you have it. But then they had second thoughts, and they decided not to give the $50,000 to the twin boy who hit that little puck 89 feet away in that little, little hole. Now, if there's anyone who wants to be a little bit hesitant about what he just did, it might have been that father. I just cost my boys $50,000. But the drift I got in terms of reading about this is there weren't any second thoughts. I taught my kids the importance of telling that which is true. Or, in this matter, not leaving out that which is important. We bought the ticket. They're twins. It was our family ticket. But really, it was Nate's, not Nick's. Let's pray. Father, help us to be people who, who tell the truth, even when it doesn't want to be heard. And we want to do it in a loving way, a caring way, a way that speaks to the heart of the issue. And Father, help us to be people who are willing to hear the truth. And maybe there's someone here this morning that, that hasn't crossed the line of faith. They haven't admitted their need. And Father, the gospel is for people who are in need and want to turn from their sin. Father, today might be the day in which they, they commit to believing in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and committing to follow Him. Help us to be people of truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.